Welcome to So You Can Heal. I'm Josh. I'm a licensed social worker and therapist at Still Point Consultants. And I'm Abby Parker, a licensed mental health counselor and therapist at Still Point Consultants as well. Josh, when I say the word witness, what do you think of? So for me, the first thing that comes up is the idea of like that church mentality of like I have to teach everyone about God and Jesus and all of that stuff. And now it, it has definitely changed. <laughs> but yeah, growing like the, I guess the first thing that comes to mind, sorry, I'm going on some anecdotal <laughs> journey by myself. <laughs> Um, the first thing that comes to mind about witnessing is holding space. And so your definition has changed. Oh, for sure. Of what witnessing is. Yeah. And I, I think that's very common for words, right? Like they have different meanings in different contexts. And yeah. like something I know we talked about is discussing the impact of witnessing like in a therapeutic setting or just within relationships. Because to me, like when I think about witness, Beth made me a watercolor picture and she titled it witness. And that has stuck with me in doing therapy because in that holding space, like I have the privilege of sitting with someone and witnessing their experience. And I think, I mean, if I could invite people to hear anything today, that is what I would invite them to hear like witnessing is literally observing what someone else is experiencing yeah and how powerful that is as a healing tool yeah i mean especially depending on where in our lifetime the the wounding happened that witnessing is pivotal in the healing and creating a repair Tell me more. If you think of like the developmental stages, like in an Ericksonian type of mentality, like we go through attachment and then we're exploratory and then we have like identity and yada, yada. If the wounds happen early in those attachment identity exploratory stages, which I just said out of order, but that's okay. Um, But in those earlier stages, it's really, really important for those individuals who have wounding around those things to feel seen, to feel heard, to feel understood. Because in the moments that they are feeling connected, their defenses are going to be able to come down so that they can actually be present enough to stretch and allow themselves to heal. Got it. So it actually allows someone to process their thoughts, their emotions, their feelings, like whatever it is, if their defenses come down in the presence of what their experience has been to be witnessed. Yep. I mean, because often our reactivity comes from we're not feeling heard, we're not feeling seen, I'm not feeling connected to you, So I'm instantly going to become reactive and whatever that means. So yeah, I'm not going to, my defenses are up. 
But if I'm feeling those things, then yeah, I'm going to allow this transaction to be a little bit more, I don't want to say easy, but it's going to be more meaningful and produce better outcomes than if we don't. Mm -hmm. You actually get to experience the connection. Yep. And that's what I find. Like if someone can experience the connection, even in their grief or their hardship or their wound, it, it does allow for someone to be more free. So more free to actually express their feeling or more free to be able to share whatever is coming up in their mind to not feel like any reservation of what they're experiencing as shame. I mean, shame can keep us from being witnessed. Shame can, I mean, yeah. So the shame component in witnessing is huge. I mean, because often it's those hidden parts that we're ashamed of. It's where the shame lives. And witnessing someone in those moments without judgment is going to be huge. So witnessing someone's experience can keep them out of shame. I don't necessarily think that it can keep them out of shame. I think that it can help that shameful part or that ashamed piece be seen in a way that can help reduce the judgment that's placed on it. If I'm connecting with you and I'm saying I'm loving you through or caring for you through all of the pieces, regardless of what they are, then the shame that I feel doesn't feel as judged. So I'm more likely to allow myself to experience it with you because I feel safe and that way we can actually heal the shame and move through it. Like as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about all of these layers that get placed on our experiences. And I mean, it's subconscious, it's conscious, it's from others, it's from outside systems. And all of that works against us building what we want, which is to have that experience of connection. And the layers were or are. So whatever hurts, like the wound, the shame that comes with that, the judgment that gets placed on top of it, it kind of defeats not being heard, not being seen. In my mind, I'm just wrapping it around like how simple it sounds, but yet how complicated it becomes. Like it sounds so simple. If you just stand a witness of someone else's experience without placing judgment or inviting an open space for them to be heard and seen as who they truly are, then that helps them heal. I mean, it sounds pretty simple, right? Yeah. Theoretically. Theoretically. What makes it challenging is? Well, the person who's witnessing also has all of those other layers. <laughs> right. The amount of reactivity. <laughs> because the shame in you notices the shame in me and the shame in me is saying hell no I'm not going to experience this I mean and therein lies another piece that we are only able to witness someone to a level that we are willing to witness ourselves Ooh, repeat that one we are only able to witness another in the places we are willing to witness ourselves got it so if I am not willing to look at my shame, 
then I am not going to be able to be present for you to look at yours. Mm. I mean, the same goes with hurt or judgment or anything. If I am avoiding, then I will avoid yours too. Got it. And it's not because of you. It's because of me. But yeah. often we see that as more shame yep. and pour that on that I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. Whatever the story is we tell ourselves. I mean, and I find too, like the higher the developmental stage of a person, the the faster they're able to kind of move through some of the things. Sure. Whereas the younger developmentally we are, like that wound is, where that wound is, the harder it is to move through them. Mm-hmm. As we're talking about this, I'm thinking if anyone wants a crash course into identifying your wounds, invite yourself to become a parent. <laughs> because then, you know, my four-year-old would be happy to tell you <laughs> where your wounds are <laughs> in very simple language. So, like, what do you think of when you hear, like, reactive versus witness? When I think about the reaction, I think of it coming from that place of whatever that person's wound is. And so the reaction can be really intense thoughts. Or, I mean, that's the judgment. Or it comes with really intense feelings. Even if, like, I'm joining them in their sadness, I might also feel really sad. And so when you think about the reactivity, you're reacting out of your own hurt or your own wound instead of staying with that person and their experience. If I think of witnessing, I am setting aside my world in order to see them and try to understand where they are actually at. Because if I don't place my meaning on it, then I get a glimpse into what they actually experience. I don't know. Like for me, like I think this is such an interesting component because like what you're describing, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have heard like transference, countertransference, just from like their high school psychology classes. Like that is countertransference. Like you are transference because you are taking what someone else is feeling onto yourself and then interpreting it in a way and putting your own story to it. So you feel more connected to it. You feel all of these things. And now we become reactive. Yeah. I don't know. Like it, I, I just find it so fascinating how our brain works. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I mean, it's trying to protect us like, oop, that's danger. Stay away. Right. So we either have to fight it. We have to run from it. We have to submit to it or we have to hide. And I also think it's a way of how our brains learn. Like we take in all of this information and we filter it in order to figure out what we would do or what we wouldn't do or how to make decisions or how to think or feel about something based on what we see other people experiencing. Do you think there's judgment in that? Absolutely. Even if it's learned judgment. What do you mean? Like, if I grew up in a certain way, like, if I grew up not learning to 
judged that red tomatoes were bad. When really, I've never tried a red tomato. So I learned to have that judgment from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Instead of experiencing to place that judgment on my own taste buds. Josh, I think this is the perfect opportunity to, to state that quote that you have been thinking on this week. The premise of it is, is that the self is mirrored into existence. So the person we have become has been rewarded or given consequence for thoughts, behaviors, emotions that were and were not okay. And based on the reward and consequences that we've been given, it has formed who we are. So, I mean, and what we've seen and what's been modeled. So there's like a lot of components that kind of go into it. So, yeah, we are mirrored into existence. I don't know. And I just find that super fascinating too. I mean, and it kind of goes like the nature versus nurture. Like we come in naturally with certain pieces and then how the nurture piece really shapes them into a very particular and specific skill or set of qualities that are or aren't okay. And then what we find out later in life, especially when we get into relationship, is that the ways that we've learned to cope with not being who we truly are or certain things not being okay or how we respond to things really become problematic. And essentially, relationships are saying, hey, your coping skills aren't working anymore. How can we learn to do this differently so that we can meet each other in a space where I'm not becoming overly reactive by what you're experiencing and yet also be able to stand present to what you're experiencing, recognizing that it is not mine. Even though you are in pain, and it pulls up the painful pieces in me, it is not my pain I'm really experiencing, like, that I'm being witness to. It's yours. Yeah. And I think even in that, like, we have a choice of what we witness. Yeah. And how we witness it, or how we prepare to show up for it, or what we do with it afterwards. Like, all of those conscious decisions are choices of how to be present in that objective witnessing way. It doesn't mean like we're immune to being impacted by things or that we don't learn from them or create judgments from them. I mean, we're all human, but I think even inviting anyone who's listening to know that you have a choice of how you show up and how you witness an experience of someone else or an experience within yourself. I mean, and I think that's the goal. I mean, because often what you're going to see is us becoming reactive because that's that mirrored piece. And when I feel this way, regardless of what stimulus is bringing it to me, I respond in this way because it makes that feeling go away. It makes me not have to see it within myself. So yeah, I mean, and then being able to be intentional and conscious about how you choose to respond, like 
that is the goal for mm -hmm. sure. But I also recognize that depending on one's experiences, that can take a while. Absolutely. One thing I know as a therapist is that I get to choose what type of clients that I see. And so I know that there are certain types of issues or diagnoses that I don't invite into my practice because I know I'm not the best person to deal with them because of my own issues. And so again, that's the choice of how I can show up, who I witness in their experience, and what's the best way for me to not be reactive and still be connected to my clients. Josh, what other tools do you think would be helpful for our listeners to be able to witness someone else's experience? I think that it is important to be reflective, to be willing to hold space for yourself. Because like I said earlier, if we're not holding that space for ourselves, it's going to be really hard to do that for someone else. I think to be a good witness, I think there's a part of it where the one witnessing in some way shows understanding of what's being conveyed and whether that's through mirroring. I mean, and that can, depending on the level of regulation that someone is in. So like if they're really upset, then I may do more, try to do more word for word mirroring versus like an essence mirror or a summary mirror. So what is the essence of what they're saying or what's a summary of what they're saying? And I find that that is really helpful because it does help reduce some of the reactivity in the other person and some of the defenses because they're feeling connected to, they're feeling understood, they're feeling heard, seen. I also think that it's important to, to know for yourself, like when you are becoming reactive as the witness. So like when you are starting to experience things in your body or emotions that are coming up and how to kind of navigate them to remain present. So like coping skills, if that's, if that's a deep breath, if that's saying, can I have just a couple moments to, to kind of ground myself back into this moment so that I can be present. So I think, I don't think that there's like one particular way. I think that everybody's going to be a little bit different, but I do think that often especially at the beginning when learning to witness or receive, it can be really challenging. But I also think that there's equal amount of weight put on the person who's sending and how things are being said and what is being said. Like language is important. So I think that there are a lot of components and gears that are moving all at the same time and I would say focus on one like do you want to be better at managing what's coming up for you right now or would you rather work on being able to mirror and let them know that you're present yeah that's kind of where my brain's at in this moment what about you I think about how people when they feel heard what the other person is doing. And so when I feel heard, it means that someone is giving me undivided attention. That means they're not looking at their phone or doing other things. 
like their body tells me that by how they're positioned or like pointed towards me, their face or their eyes are relaxed. They're like looking at me. There might be even a, an expression. So like through like a touch or a glance or a smirk and all of those are our bodies tell a lot of different stories. So how that other person is showing up for me tells me that they're listening to me. And then, you know, Joshua, you were talking about like the mirroring component. So using the language that the other person is using, like I hear you saying that you're really angry right now, or I hear you saying that you're really sad, or is, is it right? Like, did I get it? Like checking in with them. Because a lot of times when someone is reactive or in that reactive state and they're sharing something, they don't even know what they're saying. They have a, they have an idea, they have a feeling, an emotion, but what is actually being expressed, you're inviting them to slow that down. Yeah. And the more dysregulated someone is, the slower you want it to really be. Mm-hmm. I mean, because at first, like, especially if someone's like super dysregulated or there is like a com- total rupture, especially in a relationship, like right now, like. The witnessing component is just getting you back into your body and to be present enough so that we can begin to even suss out, like, what are we capable of right now? Well, that even brings me to, like, a time consideration, right? Like, if a friend, like, shares something with me or, you know, Leo wants to talk to me, then I need to let that person know, like, Absolutely. I, you know, for the next 15 minutes, I am all here. Right. I mean, setting a boundary. And I do agree. Like the nonverbal pieces are really important. I mean, and that's a part of what we do in Imago. And that's a part of the coaching and the facilitating that the therapists do is be mindful of how you gesture or be mindful of your facial expression as you were saying that. Or don't give her a dirty look as you're doing this or (laughs) don't roll your eyes or whatever. And sometimes it is like, I invite you to like hold her hand. Just, I mean, because you're essentially what we're doing is we're teaching you how to have that converse, that challenging, heartbreaking, horrific conversation in a way to where both of you are able to be present. And that is really freaking hard because think about all of the things that we've done in our life to escape feeling bad. Now we can't use those things and now we actually have to have this conversation. It's scary. It is scary. And that's why a lot of people hide from it. Yeah. And that's why there's a lot of dysregulation in relationships. Because if you're hiding from yours, then I'm most likely hiding from mine. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's go- our dysregulated pieces are going to collide. And depending on how much dysregulation each of us are feeling will depend on how much dysregulation we're going to experience in the relationship. Yeah. And sometimes I find that you have one who avoids and then the, I mean, the other will always avoid to some extent, but like they avoid opposite pieces sometimes. So like, right. I want to know why this feeling is there while the other person is like, I don't want to know feelings. Uh-huh. And the other one's like, well, let's think this through. And like, I don't want to. Let's just feel it. <laughs> so they're like constantly colliding over like opposite pieces. 
But I think that a lot of times we are with someone so they can teach us how to incorporate the thinking, the feeling, the sensing, and the, the, the doing components in a more balanced way. Right. And sometimes we don't get that piece. And I think that there's a lot of growth that is missed out on relationships because when we get really dysregulated and especially like when big ruptures happen, we are making decisions out of impulse rather than conscious decision. And I think the concept of witnessing someone else's experience, you can do it in either space. You can do it when someone is dysregulated to support them in regulating Mm -hmm. or You can even do it when they are regulated and validate that process for them. And the same goes for the self, because like you were sharing, we only are working from the space where we are most regulated. So when you pause as a witness, it allows for that brain flip, that reactivity, to be able to come back and to check or gives the opportunity for that. And then you get to ask whether it be yourself or the other person what's next or what they need. Yeah, the pause allows you a moment to not step into reactivity, but to remain present and to, in a sense, kind of check in with the other and what they need. Was that right? Yes. Hey everyone, Abby and I wanted to take a moment and let everyone know about some updates that are coming to the So You Can Heal podcast. We will be taking a break and we'll resume putting out podcast in August. So episode 27 will be the last podcast through the summer. August, we will start back up with episode 28 and we're going to shift the way we kind of set it up a little bit. So that's going to be really exciting. And we're going to be looking more at series. So as always, if you have questions, please send them in. If you have topics you want covered, would love to hear your thoughts. And you can always email us at so you can heal at stillpointhealing.com. You can check out our social medias at Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest at stillpointhealing. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And until next time.